0: Hey, what's up? (coughs) (laughs) Little traffic jam there. (laughs) Tyler, I put my notes up here somewhere. Pretty sure I'm going to need notes this morning. They're somewhere around here. We need to pass some coffee around if I'm going to wing it. I set them, I set them down like right up in here. Wow. Bam! Yeah. You guys should be glad that happened. (laughs) Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to coach class. We're crammed in here. I think everybody kind of has a line of sight, though, to what's going on. Welcome. Uh, And I don't know where Elsa went, but thank you, Elsa, for sharing with us. That was awesome. Um, Some of you aren't familiar with the fact that there's a group of uh, uh, students from uh, Campus Crusade that are here uh, serving in our town and just being a blessing to the city and I, where are all those are they mostly up here let's just thank them for doing that Is that you guys I saw on the trail yesterday? Yeah. Riding? Okay. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, one of the things that for me and my wife has been a blessing that we didn't expect is a big surprise was and, and still is, the uh, young adults group that's been meeting at our house and at the Kelly's house through the last several months. And in the fall, uh, I think we started meeting late in the fall uh, when the skiing was going on, and most of the kids who were coming, or I call them kids, they're adults. They're kids to me, age-wise. But uh, we guys. We had one girl, and she was a pretty tough lady, and so uh, these the guys who come over. I think there's. Where are you guys? Some of them are here uh, this morning. And the uh, there were a few surprises. So when you have lifties and guys who've been skiing all day come to your house, well, they don't change their socks, <laughs> and uh, that was shocking, uh, because they they don't even notice. And Claire and I are like, oh, man. Uh, (laughs) Another thing that I learned about guys who are working on the slopes or or, uh, skiing all day is that they love juice. So Claire had like this stash of, you know, apple juice and stuff. And I mean, they would come over and just pour these like 64-ounce things of juice, drink them down. So there's a vitamin C deficiency going on, (laughs) uh, apparently. Isn't that right, Claire? I mean, that's how it goes. uh but one of the, some of the things that had been incredible for me, and we've added, fortunately, some women are there now uh, to balance out those stinky guys. <laughs> but I thought, well, these guys will come over and have dinner, and then they'll just be out, because they don't want to hang out with these old people. But what was really a, a treasure for us, and I know especially for Claire and for the Kellys too, is they after maybe one or two, uh, maybe even the first time, we had dinner and we're hanging out, and then... Uh, all that was settled around the table. And I thought, well, they're just going to leave. And they just stayed and then moved into the living room. And then we watched some TV and we moved back and ate some more food and they just hung out. And it's been such a blessing to hang out. And we've added Bible study to that. It's Tuesday night. If you're a young adult, we'd love to have you. But uh, it's just been an incredibly neat deal to be with people who are seeking God uh, that are, you know, in their 20s, 30s, whatever, just hanging out together, eating. It's been fun, hasn't it? It's been good, so um, a great surprise. And tonight, tonight today, we're going to talk about another dinner party that had some surprises to it. We're in a series, we're calling Jesus One-on-One, and these are interludes that Jesus has with different people where there may be a crowd around, but something's happening between Jesus and someone in that group. He's talking to them, he's interacting with them in some way, and something transformational happens. Today we're going to be in Luke 7. So you might turn to there well to that place. We'll also have it up here on the wall. So Jesus is going to he's he's at a point in his life where he, in his ministry, where he is becoming quite bold about who he is and what he's doing. And so he's kind of getting in the face of the religious leaders. That was part of his uh, mode of operation, right? So things are kind of bubbling up, and he's new in this one town. And the religious leaders were called the Pharisees at that time. And they were people who made the rules, uh, kind of coordinated the society, in even though the Romans were in charge, the Pharisees were the ones who enforced the Jewish law and also not just the law that the Jews had, but they enforced the customs that had built up around the law. So they were the holy guys and they had established that they had a good relationship with God because of the rules that they followed. Well, they wanted to know who this upstart was. So a tradition then was to invite that person who's coming through town. You know, there's regularly a speaker or an important person in town And the Pharisees would invite him to their house, one of them. So this happens. This Pharisee named Simon invites Jesus. And many of you are familiar with this story, but he invites Jesus into his home. But the focus of our one-on-one talk today is not Simon and Jesus, but it's Jesus and another person that was there. And we'll see that person in just a moment. In fact, let's go ahead and read the passage together. This is Luke 7, verse 36. And we're going to read down through uh, 50 or 49, 50. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet. Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed me, my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table said among themselves, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So here's the main thing that I hope that you'll walk away with this morning. And it's this. if we, When we go before Jesus with a heart of humility, we can expect to find mercy at his feet. When we go before Jesus with a heart of humility, we can expect to find mercy. The way this passage unfolds I think it's it's almost like a one-act play it all happens in one room and different little scenes happen what I want to do is unfold this by those scenes I'm going to say there are four and we'll we'll divide up this message by the those four scenes but before we do that I think it's important to, to say a couple things one is this is almost like a live version of the prodigal son but it's like the prodigal daughter If you remember, uh, later in Luke, Luke 15, Jesus tells a story about a young man who rejects his parents and goes off on his own. And he tries to live life uh, without his father or without God. And things go so horribly bad and all of his choices go so wrongly that he reaches the very bottom. And at the bottom, you may remember this, at his worst point, he says to himself, I know that I can go back to my father and he will welcome me. Even if it's is one of his slaves, I know that I can go back to him, one of his servants. I think this is a story of a prodigal daughter in real life who is, has a broken relationship with God, and she senses in her heart, and she knows she's seen Jesus, she's heard him, that the way to restore her relationship with God is through this man. And you can tell what her heart is and what she expects when she goes to him and she goes into that room and she humbly places herself before him because she expects and she knows that she'll receive mercy. Now, each of us in this room are here for different reasons. Different things are going on in our life. We're all in different places spiritually, every single one of us, but God knows those places that you are. And I believe, and I think Carrie prayed that this morning, she said, Lord, you know that each one of us is here for a reason. So you can sit here, I can sit here and and talk about this. We can just listen to it like it's a story or watching a show or something or this one act play unfolding. Or we can say, okay, I'm going to take some time and be introspective. I'm going to look at my life. I'm going to think about this on a deep level. I'm going to let God interact with me and I want to ask you to consider coming before Christ humbly, even if you just tune me out from now on, that you would say, okay, this morning, in this next 15 minutes, I'm going to step before God humbly, before Jesus, and know that despite whatever distance I've created, that I will find mercy at his feet. So that's what I, I want to encourage you to do. That's what I wanted to do with this passage myself as I've studied. Um, so let's look at, again, finding mercy there. Scene one. This is the entry of Jesus into this situation. Uh, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now this is a situation where everyone is expecting some tension. This is kind of like a duel of the theologians this is, because that's the kind of thing that happened in these places. The Pharisees, would, the powers that be would come together and then they would have somebody there and they would have this dialogue. So all, of, all the eyes are on Jesus when he comes into the room, right? He accepts this invitation. He knows what he's walking into, but we know from a little bit later in the story, in the, in the uh, narrative, that he receives none of the customary welcomes, Right? He, he doesn't receive a kiss on the cheek. Nobody washes his feet. When he comes in, when those things happen, everyone who's in that room already knows exactly what's going on. Jesus is being disrespected on purpose. Now, we've all been in situations like that, or we've had bad dreams where that happens, right? Where we come in and we're just persona non grata, and that's exactly what is happening to Jesus Everyone in the room aware of the social customs know, in which they were knows what's happening, and Jesus comes in. So there's this tension in anticipation of what's going to happen. There's a tension around how he's being treated, but then Jesus finds his place, and, and I like how Luke describes this in his word, is that Jesus reclines at the table. So the reason for that is that they didn't have chairs like we have today to cram into, like you all are doing, but. He, he kneels down at a table that's about as high as the stage, right? And he puts his feet out behind him and he leans on the table. So he's reclining at the table. So his feet are... I won't do this for you right now, but his, his, his feet are pointing out this way away from the table. And so that, that's kind of the human side of it. But you have to, you have to remember the spiritual side of this, that Jesus... Jesus is that guy who angels proclaimed his birth. Jesus is that guy who gave up his authority in heaven, put on skin, and came down here to to rescue the very people who are looking down on him and disrespecting him. And nevertheless, he walks into the room. So there's a whole other level of spiritual things going on here with Jesus in these people. And he reclines at the table and takes his place among them. But Jesus isn't the only person to be disrespected. So this takes us to scene two. So we've got Jesus in there. He's in his place. And, and so the woman of the city, this is verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table, bought an alabaster flask, flask of ointment, brought, excuse me, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, wipe them with her hair, and kiss his feet, and anointed them with ointment. So how did she get in? What in the world is going on? And those of you who have heard a message on this before, you probably know. But the, the fact is that in that culture, uh, one of the things that was a tradition was that when they had these sort of duels among the theologians, that the people of the city would be welcome, as long as they got there in time, to stand around the edge of the room, and listen to the conversation. So uh, that's why she's not prevented from coming in. I think it's, it's important to know that, that there, is, there are no circumstances in which this woman would have been welcome in this house. And it, they felt perfectly free to judge her because they lived by the rules, and they were right, right? These people were right. And so they could judge her, but because of the custom, she was allowed to come in. And you can picture, because of the way she treats Jesus, you can picture the way she came in. She must have come in meekly. She didn't come in, you know, I don't see in the context that she was loud and boisterous and obnoxious, but that she was quiet. And somehow she manages to find a place behind Jesus. Now, I don't know who came in first. I put Jesus in first, it doesn't say. But somehow these two managed to get right by each other which is significant to the story. She's right behind him. And he, of course, Jesus knows what's going on and he knows what's going to happen. Neither one of these people was offered any honor on their way in. They were both disrespected. Everyone was you know, looking down on, especially her. And then, you know, why would Jesus let her sit by him? You know, If he was a holy man, a prophet, or whatever it is that he thinks he is, he would move because he can't be close to that. I wonder, uh, I wonder about her plans because you can see before it's easy to read in that she has decided, she hears that he's there and she is going to go. And she buys this perfume or she has this perfume and she is going to get near Jesus. Those things that happen don't just happen. She says, I'm, that's where I'm going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get near him if there's any way, if there's any say that I have about it. She has a plan to get near his feet. And I think the reason that she knows that, she has a natural sense, and I think many of us have this sense as well, and we read in the scripture, and we see in this story that when we go before Christ humbly, he will receive us with mercy. And she knew that was what was going to happen. Somehow she knew that she would be received by him, and she was willing to put her uh, to put her shame on the line for that. She knew that there was a barrier between God and herself that was something that she couldn't close. She couldn't fix that. You can't fix that. I can't fix that. But but Jesus is the one who comes between. And she, she humbly went to his feet. Now, Simon, just briefly, on the other side, you know, Simon is... Uh, he thinks he's got it all together. He's in control of this situation. None of us feel like we're in control or like to stay in control, do we? None of you. Um, certainly not myself. Uh, we like to rationalize everything about us and everything's okay, we're doing okay. We especially don't like to go to that place where we have to humble ourselves and Simon is never going to do that. His thoughts, you remember we just read, he's thinking, man, Jesus wouldn't even be close to that person if he, if he, if he was even a prophet. He's, you know, well, Jesus does one of his cool little things where he knows the other guy's thoughts in advance. (laughs) And that that takes us to scene three. So we've left our, we looked at Jesus, and now we've seen what's going on with this woman and her contrite position. Remember in Isaiah uh, uh, 60 plus, 66 plus, 65? God, it's right in there. God says, it's the humble and contrite person that, that this is the person that I'm looking for. That's her. Scene three. Uh, Simon's judging Jesus. The people are looking at... But I I imagine that there's this uh, noise of the conversation around the table. I don't think, you know, because there's several people. There are people lined up around the outside. She's probably not wailing. She's probably somewhat quiet. You know, maybe there's sniffles. Maybe there's no... But in verse 40, Jesus kind of stops that noise. You know when you're at a dinner party and somebody tinks on the glass for everyone to be quiet? And then there's like one person that's still talking, you know, and they finally, and you're like, stop. Um, and they settle down. And there's this, so he goes from this noise to this quiet. And Jesus is, is um, he kind of raises his voice to, to stop the conversation. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. So it's quiet. And Simon says, say it, Teacher which I think is something like bring it on. Perhaps. <laughs> I mean, he, Simon's sure he's using cuz he knows this like I said it's it's something of a duel. So Jesus, you know, obliges. He says in 41, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 and the other 50. When one couldn't pay, he canceled both the debt of both. Which one of them will love him more? So Simon's thinking to himself, all right, I was prepared for, you know, a riddle of some kind of theological riddle or some hard question or something that I'd have to deal with. But this seems so straightforward. It's just like a financial question, you know, like a word problem. So he's, he says, well, I suppose, you know, he's hedging his bets, right? I, I like how Luke includes that in this. I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus says, well, you're right. That's good. Uh, good, you, you did that. In 44... Uh, this is this is where Jesus kind of ups the he's he's already kind of increased the tension but this is where it gets kind of gnarly. He turns around away from Simon because there must be some eye contact between them. He says he says, "Do you see this woman?" Well, of course Jesus knew that they all saw the woman. I en- I entered your house. Look at these contrasts. He I entered your house and you gave me no water, but she has wet my feet with her tears. Contrast. She's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, not on my cheek, she's kissed my feet. Big contrast. Now, I think the dinner was probably over about now. <laughs> you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. This huge contrast. He basically says, you know what, Simon? She is above you. That's what he's saying to Simon. And you couldn't say anything more offensive. The most offensive thing you could say. He was pointing out in front of everyone in this tense little one-room setting, Simon, you, you have failed and she has succeeded. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was pretty awkward. Uh, but Jesus brings up this really important point in this. He seems to indicate that um, there's a person who has more sin than another person. Right? He says one owes 500 and one 50. And he's obviously implying, we get it when we're looking back at it, that he's talking about the woman or he's talking about the, uh, the Pharisee. And as Christians, we often say things like this. If you're a Christian here today, we'll say, well, you know, no sin is worse than another. And, and this is, I think this is really important theologically, and this is what Jesus is, one of the things I think he wants to get across to us, is that uh, we, what we're saying as believers when we say no sin is greater than another one, is that we actually agree with Paul and that the penalty for every sin is the same. As Jesus says right here, there's a volume difference here. Something's happening that's different. But the penalty is the same. The cost of the sin, the cost of the rebellion against God is the same. And the price, and this just for me raises, makes this a very touching story, the price is the life of Jesus. And when he looks at her and declares her forgiveness, he, he says he says it's because of your love. What he means, I think we can translate it, is that yes, your attitude and coming before me is the thing that shows me your faith. But when he says that, he's committing his life for hers. But she doesn't know that. She doesn't know the cost. But his compassion and his mercy is the cost of his life, the Son of God. And so now we get to the fourth scene. And this is, he's had the dialogue with the whole crowd and her, do you see this woman? But now it's very personal. It's between just Jesus and and her. And of course, Socially, he wasn't allowed to talk to her, right? He, a man wasn't allowed to talk to a woman, especially in public, especially if you were a teacher and she was a prostitute, right? But Jesus talks to her, so he defiles himself by all their custom. And so they're all our all jaws are just wide open. In verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. And that reminds me of another passage in, early in Isaiah where, where God says that he's looking at the heart, not at the actions. Her, her action of washing his feet with her hair was a humble reflection of her heart before him. And Jesus is saying it's not about the distance, he's, he's looking at our hearts. And that's why I asked you, I'm asking myself to come before him with a humble heart. It doesn't matter what you've done or how far you've gone. That This is the prodigal daughter, right? She's gone pretty far. But she's coming back before Jesus at his feet. And he says, I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to give my life for years. You just don't know. Just a, a couple more thoughts here. Uh, A.W. Tozer writes this. Uh, by our own attitudes, we may determine our reception by him. Though the kindness of God is infinite, he will not force his attention upon us. If we would be welcomed as the prodigal was, we must come before, come as the prodigal came. And when we so come, even though the Pharisee and the legalist sulk without, outside, there will be a feast of welcome within and music and dancing as the father takes his child again to his heart. To, to conclude, I wanna, I'm going to pray in a moment. And I want to just ask all of you to bow before God when we do that. And tune me out, and I'll say a few words. But just begin the process of preparing your heart and your mind to... Uh, to go before Christ in that way, to go before Jesus and with a humble heart uh, submit to him. And, and before I pray, I just want to read you from Luke 15. And maybe, you've, maybe you fit into this in, in some way. Luke 15, 18. This is the, the middle of the prodigal son story. I will arise and go back to my father. He's hit the bottom. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and he went to his father. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this was my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Father, we come to you as uh, friends and family in here, guests, I think people here who don't know you yet but have a sense that, that you are... Uh, making things happen in their lives that, is draw, that are drawing them towards you, that are bringing you to Jesus' feet, bringing them to Jesus' feet. God, let us, uh, whether it's now or whether it's uh, when we are alone this week with you, God, we, uh, we, want, to, we want to humble ourselves before you. Uh, Draw each one of us to you in that way and let us experience the incredible mercy that your son gives. In Jesus' name, amen.